0: Welcome to Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For, the podcast dedicated to integrative health
1: and healing from breast cancer and breast cancer treatment using the best of conventional and natural medicine. Your host, Deborah Beaumont, is an advanced practice nurse, functional medicine practitioner, and fellow breast cancer survivor. Welcome to today's episode of Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. My name is Deborah Beaumont, I'm your host. I'm a functional medicine practitioner, I'm an advanced practice nurse, and I'm a breast cancer survivor. Today's episode is definitely something that every woman needs to listen to. If you have breast, you need to know the information that we're presenting today on the episode. Dr. Nancy Capello is an activist, she is an advocate, and a voice for women's health. If there's ever a time when legislation around women's health is important. It's in this issue that she is so passionate about, which is breast density. She has been a leading voice in getting legislation passed in 35 states that Legislates the fact that doctors need to tell women what their breast density is. It is a piece of information every woman needs to know and has profound implications for your health. Dr. Capello actually became the unlikely activist through her own experience, which she will talk to you about today. Nancy Capello is a PhD. She's the director and founder of Are You Dense and Are You Dense Advocacy, with a mission to educate the public about the risk and screening challenges of dense breast tissue to prevent missed delayed, and advanced stage cancer. She is the inspiration, and I mean that truly, the inspiration behind Connecticut's first-in-the-nation density reporting law passed in 2009, making the state a global leader in density reporting, adjunct screening, and the density reporting grassroots movement. Thirty-five states have now enacted density reporting laws and a federal bill in both the House and the Senate was introduced October 15th of 2017. Dr. Capello has presented her inspiring story of patient turned advocate across the United States and the scientific forums in Rome, Tokyo, Paris, Puerto Rico, and Brisbane, Australia. Obviously, she's got a big message that's really needed. Her blog is Nancy's Chalkboard, which has been published by the Huffington Post and other media. She is the recipient of numerous honors and awards, including being named a health hero by Parade Magazine, honored by the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame, and received prestigious national awards. I love this piece. When her mesh- mission is finished, and I hope interspersed in her mission, she looks forward to rescuing dogs, learning Italian, and taking golf lessons. There you go. <laughs> quite an introduction and quite a resume. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Capello. And I really think the best way to start this is just to have you tell us your story because it's quite compelling in its own right.
0: Well, thanks, Deborah, for having me. And I love the, the radical health RN. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are.
1: We need a new framework, that's for sure.
0: uh, So, you know, it's so crazy when when I think about this. I was diagnosed 14 years ago, so this is is no overnight success. Um, I've been relentless in my health for years. I followed the lead of my mother and her sister, my aunts, and had my mammogram every year beginning. I had a baseline, actually, at 35, and then I had my yearly mammograms from 40. Uh, until I was diagnosed with breast cancer at, I still have my mammograms, but I'll tell you that later, but until I was diagnosed with breast cancer at age, uh, I just turned 51. And so, again, I was pretty health conscious. I uh, certainly wasn't in the, in the health field, as you can tell from my resume. I was a teacher, and I was a school administrator, and then I worked at the State Department of Education, taught at, on the college level, so I had a pretty illustrious career as an educator. And I basically stumbled or hit a wall in 2004. I had just had a mammogram, my 11th. I had it at the end of November 2003. And seeing that I just turned 51, my plan was after my husband and I in early January, we were away for a little vacation. I was going to make my appointment for my colonoscopy because again, can very health, health conscious and exercise, by the way, uh, daily. And so um, about three weeks after my um, normal mammogram, I had a gynecological appointment with my uh, primary care physician, my gynecologist. And as she was doing a breast exam, feeling my right breast, she felt what she said, a thickening in my breast. She called it a ridge or a thickening. She said, I know Nancy just had a normal mammogram, but because there's a I feel something I'm going to send you for a diagnostic mammogram. Maybe three days later, I went for my, and again, never not worried about this. First of all, I, I never missed a mammogram. I just got a, my 11th report, said, dear Miss Capella, we are pleased to inform you. The results are normal. So I, I just figured, you know, women get called back. That was the first time I was ever called back in my, uh, in my 11 years of mammograms. And so I go for my diagnostic mammogram, which is basically targeted in the area of my right breast, the upper quadrant, um, that they were that she felt something. It was fine, it was normal. But because it was palpable and the doctor felt it, the standard of practice is that that I went across the hall to an ultrasound suite and I had a technologist just putting those, the the um, ultrasound targeting in the area of the palpable quote unquote ridge. Before you know it, this technologist said, excuse me, and she came back with three other people hovering over me saying things like, yeah, what? what's this? Oh, is it on the marigam? No, we couldn't see it. Well, lo and behold, fast forward, my cancer was diagnosed at stage 3C. There's four stages of breast cancer. It was on the last stage before it metastasized to other organs, which is a chronic, as you know, terminal disease.
1: Right.
0: It had metastasized to third lymph nodes. Oh, my God. Not what you want. When you look at who lives and who dies, you look at a couple of things. One, the size of the cancer, the stage of the cancer, and the lymph node involvement. Right. I was in pretty bad shape. And so, again, I'm not in the profession.
1: I just have to say, no. not being in the profession and having four to five technicians come in, stare right. at a screen that's pointed at your body, yeah. saying, hmm, what's this? Yeah. I don't yeah. I, you yeah. know. Yeah, one was
0: a doctor, by the way, radiologist.
1: <laughs> talk it's about, talk about not... Attending good. to your emotional needs. You're <laughs> just know. like, oh my yeah. God.
0: <laughs> I'm looking at him and saying, he's pretty cute, but I don't think it's going to be good news. Anyway, <laughs> <Not> good <enough. laughs> fast forward, um, they sent me for a biopsy, and I had um, a single mastectomy, uh, had six surgeries since then, chemotherapy, radiation. But let me get back to the story about what happened. When I met with my breast surgeon after the biopsy, I said to her, I, I don't get this. I just Look at I had my normal mammogram report, you know, dear Miss Capella. And she said to me, in a nonchalant manner, oh, like, you know, past the show, saw. She said, oh, you have dense breast tissue. No, I'm an educator. I have my pad, my pen. I'm writing down dense tissue. What's that? Oh, it's hard for cancer to be seen on a mammogram. Now, again, I know nothing about the research about dense tissue, about breast cancer. I'm just a regular old patient, you know, trying to keep healthy. I, I said, well, what do you mean it's hard for cancer to be seen on a, on a, uh, on a mammogram if you have dense tissue? She said, yeah, it, you kind of have what's called um, like young breasts. I said, well, shouldn't I know this? She said, oh, no, we don't tell women that. Now again, she's a female. So I had five other doctors. I had a team of doctors, and I asked each doctor what happened, and each of them told me same thing in a, on a separate day, same response. Oh, you have dense tissue, Nancy. It's, and, and explain to me how hard it is for men of them to see cancer. And my next question is: should I know this? And each of them said, "Male and females, no, we don't tell women that." Well, you're telling
1: me now. But the is thing it- is, they knew it. This they was knew known it. Known information to them. It's yes. yes. like it sounds like they treated it like it was just like, well, you have blonde hair. It, it it was just like a routine thing that they knew, but had never informed you.
0: And again, so now I have. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to survive this disease. I find out at stage 3C. I go to the stage of diagnosis, American Cancer Society. It says that less than 49% of women survive five years. Can you believe this?
1: Oh, my God. And I
0: never missed a damn mammogram. I was outraged. When I tell right. you, first of all, I was scared. Am right. I going to die? And, I, and, and it looked like I was going to die. I never missed an appointment. I followed all the rules. I mean, I was like in the best of health other right. than having a late-stage disease. And when I had my... Um, Single. I had a single. I chose to have a single mastectomy, uh, so I still have a good breast, which is an important aspect when you think about. I'm still a consumer of screening.
1: Right. And I'll talk a little right. bit about that. Absolutely.
0: And so, when I had my three weeks off for my single mastectomy, I wasn't satisfied with the information that my doctors were telling me about my dense tissue, and so I went to the literature in 2004, and mm. what I uncovered absolutely made me. Outraged at the time. Now, this is 14 years ago. I uncovered study after study about the masking. How hard it is to see cancer on a mammogram when you have dense tissue, because dense tissue appears white on a mammogram, and so does the um, cancer. So you can't see the contrast when you're when you're looking at it on the X-ray. So that certainly was unbelievable to me. That was called, That's called the masking. In addition to that, in fact, I read a study from the first randomized controlled trial mammography in the 60s that talked about that having dense breast tissue is also a risk factor for breast cancer. So I'm finding out after my single mastectomy that this information, while unknown to me, the patient who had it and its impact on whether I'm going to live or die, I could not believe that there was research science and the science told me that 40% of women have dense tissue. So Deborah, I knew, Oh my God, I'm not alone. What about my sister? What about my mother? She's going for mammograms still at the time. What about my friends at the, my colleagues at the state department where I work, they probably have dense tissue. They don't even know and they're counting on their mammogram, which everybody says, get your mammogram, early detection, get your mammogram which is can be a fatal flaw or is a fatal flaw, I believe, in, in screening. And so I get all this information about dense tissue. I take all the literature that I had to pay for to download to, you know, to, to make copies of, and I put it in packets to my six docs, thinking, wow. how silly of me, <laughs> thinking, oh, they don't know this. I'm going to teach them because I'm a teacher, and I'm going to tell them, here's the information I uncovered and what I want you to do is in our little community of Woodbury, Connecticut, I want you to start telling women in the greater Waterbury area that if they have dense tissue, since it's already in a report, I found out it was in my report that I never saw that doctors, my doctor, my radiologist, wrote to my referring physician. I had 11 reports that said I had dense tissue, extremely dense tissue, by the way, and nobody bothered to tell me. So after I gave them the information about research and I asked them, could you start telling women now about this? And each of them said to me separately, oh no, Nancy we can't do that. It's not the standard of care.
1: Oh my God. I-
0: so I said it to myself. It's not the standard of care less. I call it health care less. Here I am, 51 years old, never missed an appointment, followed every rule, American Cancer Society, Susan G. and do what you should, could do to keep healthy, have your yearly mammogram. And I was at really great risk. I still am at risk, Deborah, of dying from this disease. And I was ticked. I could not believe it. So what do you do, right? What do I do? Do I just say, well, like they said, you miss a few. No, you miss a lot. You miss every other cancer in a dense breast. So I started studying the research. I, my husband, Joe, um, said to me, Nancy, you know, it's a family disease. He was devastated, devastated. Mm -hmm. Couldn't believe it. Thought this was outrageous. What an injustice. How could, what are they, crazy? They think you're going to just say, oh, okay, see you later. You can die from this and no one really cared. This is how we felt. We were alone in my own, my own, you know, cancer journey and my healthcare providers who should be, who should care. That this is going to affect women coming after me, and so Joe said to me, "We can't stop this." Now this is right out of the gate. I mean, I was going through chemo, I had my surgeries. Joe said, "I'm going to talk to a former colleague, a former classmate of mine. He was, she was a senator. She's a senator here in Connecticut, uh, just a state senator, and I'm going to talk to her about the science you uncovered and about your 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 treatment, your what what's what's has done, is for quality of life and how you can die from this disease, and nobody seems to care. And so that's how, Deborah, we started going the legislative route, and it's because my health care providers refused, refused to even, they, you know, and again, they weren't rude per se. It was just a matter of fact, nah, we're not going to do that, Nancy. It's not the standard of protocol. You know, you miss a few. Well, they're missing mine. I said, we're not missing yours. I bet you'd have a different different um, thought if it was your cancer. If you yeah. had the stage 3C breast cancer, if you had less than a 49% chance of surviving five years, oh, I gosh. bet you'd have a different story.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's amazing that you bring this up. And it's never my desire as an integrative practitioner, Bash- Traditional medicine, there's Correct. a lot that it has to offer, but what I, I I talk to my husband about this all the time to try to get the language down so that that I can explain it in a way that that doesn't sound like I'm bashing it. You know, being a nurse, sometimes I don't have the perspective of someone who's a non medical person, and I've always been kind of one of those bossy ICU nurses, and so I have a different relationship with doctors. That being said, I find it very challenging. I mean, I've worked at leading teaching institutions where, you know, doctors and nurses work more like in partnership than, you know, me, me yes. cars and Eugene system, which is usually what I call it. And yet, even as a patient, it has been very hard for me to advocate for myself and say, No, this is not right. I mean, just I, I told you before the show the other day, I had to walk out of a testing because they were like, Well, the doctor, he's not going to listen to you and he's just going to yell at you. I'm like, I don't accept that. And I left, I, I yes. you know, big schedule and I left. I'm always very sensitive about that. But you're bringing up so many things. My, my husband often, he's not a medical person, but sometimes we'll leave and you know, they'll give you all the statistics about recurrence and breast cancer and this treatment and that test. And he'll we'll leave and he'll be like, I feel like like I just left a bookie's office. And that's how it can feel that, you know, when they're, when they're giving you, when doctors are giving you these statistics, you know, or not like you've so well talked about the reasons they give you information or don't are often driven by so many other things besides your individual personalized, unique experience with them. And yet we live in a world where we've been taught from the days of Marcus Welby that doctor knows best. And I think that people tend to give up their power because while the doctor said it or the doctor told me to take it or the doctor didn't think this was important, and we've been trained that that's enough. And as you're very well bringing up, that's not enough. One doctor may think it's important, and then the next one may do something completely different. You always have to be your own advocate.
0: You do. And- you do, and that's a challenge to many of us. I mean, we're all busy, but I will tell you, Deborah, and and I and I'm I know you get it because first of all, you you are a breast cancer quote unquote trying to survive this disease. I always say that about me, yeah. and understand what it's like. I mean, honestly, at my darkest, one of my darkest times of my life, and I'm. Now again it wasn't that they were rude but it was really honestly careless I you know health careless it really they really did not care about my plight that I ended up with this late stage disease and so I kept thinking I wonder if they really think early detection matters we've been hearing about that forever and if they really believed it each of those doctors my six doctors be Outraged what happened to me? Wouldn't they be outraged? It's in the literature. Wouldn't be it for decades? Wouldn't they be outraged that it's not only hard to see a cancer, but it's a risk factor for breast cancer? But they were not. I was outraged. My husband was outraged. The literature drove us to our legislate tours in Connecticut, and after lots of drama with the physician trade organization, the College of Radiology in Connecticut, testifying against giving information that's already in my file that I never saw to the woman who has it so that she can be the leading advocate for her breast health and talk to her doctors about added screening. Because what I uncovered and still is true today, as I said, about 50, 40% of women have dense tissue. There's four categories, uh, from fatty to scattered, which is not considered dense. That's called A's and B's. And the C's and D's is heterogeneously dense and extremely dense, which I had. Mm-hmm. Um, about 40% of women have the C and the D as far as their breast tissue. And again, you can't see the cancer. It's masked because white, the tissue is white. And so is the cancer on an x-ray. And so when I was when I got that information and knew that we should give it, get it to the patient, I did it, not only certainly for me, I mean, I still have a good breast, but I did it because I knew there were going to be women after me that would be just like me, devastated, devastated that they, they were denied equal access to an early diagnosis. I felt betrayed by my medical community.
1: That's so powerful. And there's two things, because I, I definitely want to talk about your advocacy, because that's really something you've brought to light. But there's two things that you just said that I really want to emphasize. And you've said it a couple times, but I really want our listeners to, to hear this loud and clear. Having dense breast is a risk factor for breast cancer. That's a game changer. Seriously, that's a game changer. I I remember the first time I heard you talk, you said that having dense breast was an equal risk to your possibility of having breast cancer as the BRCA1, BRCA2 gene that everyone's talking about, the genetic testing that they do. That is such a powerful statement because most people who are at all concerned about breast cancer have heard about, you know, BRCA1 testing and BRCA gene testing. And this is as equal a risk factor, if not more so. And something that's more accessible in terms of information, you just ask your doctor, what is my breast density? Because if you've ever had a mammogram, they have that information. That's what you're saying. They have this information. They are not telling you for a number of other reasons. And I really explore that.
0: You bring this up because when we started asking, you know, requesting this, uh, our first law in Connecticut to disclose or report dense tissue to the patient, at the part as part of her mammogram report, the doctors were saying, Well, all she has to do is ask for it, and we'll give it to her. Well, she didn't even know she has to ask for it. How I never heard the term dense breast issue right. until right. after I was slammed in in front of a wall with a late stage diagnosis. So, how would women even know to ask for something exactly. you didn't even know you needed to ask for? It? And so, once we got um, our first state in 2009, it was a terrible slog to the finish line, I thought, you know, we have two organizations, Are You Dense and Are You Dense Advocacy? And we're on Facebook and Twitter. I hope um, the listeners join us um, and, and follow us because we do have a lot of important information, a lot of good resources that are really patient-friendly that we give out to, uh, to patients.
1: And supporting um, your advocacy. I mean, if there's one thing that listeners need to know is that we're talking about your access to information. Yes. Because you may be in one of those states where it's not a law that the doctors need to tell you. Right. So this right. is about your advocacy. And until you advocate for it, obviously, it's not going to be offered.
0: Yes. So I want to, ch- I just want to just digress for a moment because I want to tell you because I know that you're you're into functional medicine and how important it is and I want to tell you a little story about how I fired (laughs) my first oncologist you're going to love this so I'll try to get this quickly so Before I was diagnosed, you know, again, I exercised, I ran, I took supplements, certain things that I thought were important as I studied information about keeping healthy, did my my breast exam, did my yearly mammogram, went for my um, yearly checkup, wellness visit, the whole bit. Okay. When I was diagnosed, I had maybe a list of maybe six or seven supplements that I was taking. Vitamin C, vitamin E, uh, CoQ10. At the time, I was only 50, so I wasn't taking calcium uh, and vitamin D, but anyway. When I met with my oncologist, my breast surgeon recommended a local oncologist, and we were going to go over my treatment, my protocol for my stage three C breast cancer. When he got the list of my uh, supplements, he looked at them and he said, "Well, just like this," and he he almost threw the paper like at me. Now I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? This isn't like this is really pretty. This is bad. This is not a salesperson. He said, "Uh, "Well, you're not going to be taking these." So I said to him uh, why? Well, we don't, we don't allow, we, who's we, I don't know, you and God, we don't allow women to take supplements when they're going through chemo. Oh, you don't? Could we go through the list and tell me why? He didn't even know why, but he just said we don't allow women to take supplements. So anyway, my husband was with me, and so we're walking in the car, he looks at me and says, looks like you're not going to go there, are you? I said, nope. So I wrote him a little note, nice note. Dear Dr. So and So, thank you very much. However, basically, you're fired. I didn't say it like that, but Joe, my husband, started looking for another oncologist because I, you know, I needed it. chemo. I knew that I was going to go for chemo, I, even though we did look at supple, you know other treatments that were non chemotherapy. But I knew I felt in my heart I needed to go that route because of my late stage diagnosis, and so. Joe found a, an oncologist, a real medical doctor uh, lived in, who was tr- practicing Greenwich, Connecticut, which is about an hour and 20 minutes from here. Same protocol. Joe talked to him on the phone. I went... Now, this is the difference. This is the difference, Deborah. I went to see him. I had my supplement list. He went through. He said, all right, Nancy, Q10, perfect, because, you know, chemo could be hard, harsh on your, your intestines because I don't want you taking this E. I'm going to give you something else. As far as this, we're going to... T- Stop that, but I'm going to give you this. So I looked at him, and I was thinking, like, this is like a match.com for breasts. I mean, where have you been all my life? This is right. the kind of doctor. Right. Plus, he recommended I do acupuncture for um, nauseousness, um, which I did, um, to reduce nauseousness, I should say. So the difference is, I, you know, again, it was the same chemotherapy, adromycin, cytoxin, taxon, taxotere. However, the way he was treating me, he respected me me as a person Absolutely. it wasn't like he was throwing something at me and just blatantly saying well we don't allow this well, who's we right. you know who are you right. and I, I said I've listened to my docs for the last how many 11 years you think I'm going to start listening to them now I've learned not to listen to them because I ended up with a late stage diagnosis following every single rule that we whoever we are made up
1: my last doctor said to me and this is after I I'd, I'd been the victim of medical malpractice by another doctor many years ago, and so when I go into doctors now, I'm it's like this is who I am, this is my medical history, this is what I expect of you. And he said he was he was a great doctor. He treated me through my breast cancer, and he's like, you make me a little nervous. One day when he was <laughs> working out of the room, and he he left, and my husband looked at me, and I was like, good, keep him on his toes. And I mean, this is a really great example of the fact that I just think that people think that they can like abdicate and turn everything over to the doctor. But doctors are different. You know, just like you have good hairdressers and bad hairdressers, you have good doctors and bad doctors or doctors that you don't even click with. You said, if a doctor tells you, I've really extensively researched nutrition and supplements. And for this reason, I think this is good. And maybe this isn't. That's a very different message than I've never studied it. I don't know. And I'm not comfortable with it. So no. Those are two different messages. And once again, being your own advocate, which is all of these things. It's learning to ask the questions. If a doctor treats you rudely, being willing to walk away and find somebody else. Find somebody that matches your beliefs, that is willing to work with you, to explain things with you. I went with my plastic surgeon because the first time I saw him, he spent three and a half hours with me explaining yeah. everything instead yeah. of 10 minutes. These are the kind of things, it's not a, you know, I always tell people in terms of being an integrative practitioner, it's not either or, it's it's finding the best of both. And what you're talking about with this second doctor that you saw was finding the best of both. Somebody that you could trust in terms of the very traditional frightening treatment that we all have to face exactly. when you're... Exactly. And when I her. saw when
0: I would run, run into my because he's a local doctor my fired oncologist he'd see me he'd say oh, how you doing and i would say to my other doctor he thinks you're probably killing me i said well i'm taking supplements we worked it out with my doctor and there's certain things you know i was trying to educate him but i thought i said to my my real oncologist I said he probably thinks you're killing me with the <laughs> damn supplements well oh, it's yeah, interesting I mean, that those are- so- ridiculous it's, oh,
1: Valley they can be in such a close geographic proximity and be so different but as I always tell people get a second opinion get a third opinion it's like find somebody that's gonna work with you that you feel respected because yeah. this is a long-haul kind of thing and it doesn't stop the day you finish chemo yeah, because it's the yeah. rest of it, your life it, you it's
0: so hard though and challenging because you know how life can be so busy right exactly have kids and families and work and this and that and bills and, and you're you're just your head is spinning and then you're thinking oh, i gotta go on another second opinion i gotta go right. take time off from work am i gonna get paid i mean it's a huge challenge and i understand that it's agonizing for some people i've been right. you know i looked at this i mean while it was a very bad you know breast cancer late stage i i always tried to say to myself, listen, Nancy, we have to count our blessings. And let's, let's think of some blessings. One, I had a job that I actually had some time I could take. I mean, I worked throughout my whole chemo, but I did have like on the Fridays when I had my chemo, I had it every other week. I was, um, you know, I was able to take the time off from work and still get paid. I had great insurance. I could actually go to another doctor or have a second opinion. Right. I had, a good insurance plan where i was able to have my medication you know mostly paid for for my for my um my arimadex or my um uh, ai that i'm on i'm still on i always tr- thought it was important for me to count my blessings to think about what, what some, I had a great family, a good marriage, good family, good husband. You know, there were all these things. Yes, I was facing a bad disease. And yes, I could die from this disease. But boy, am I damn really blessed for a lot of things. And I thought that was important for me because you can go down this rabbit hole and really get pretty depressed if you don't do that.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, all of those things, I don't believe all of the things that you mentioned should be options, but they are in this country. One of the other things that's a very real issue is that in our country, your health insurance is often tied to your job. And if you're going through treatment, yes. you oftentimes lose your job because you can't work. It's just, it's just a ridiculous circle that, you know, you can get caught in we have a few minutes i want to be really respectful of your time okay. and um i but i really want to have the conversation about your advocacy okay, because sure. um i really believe well for one thing i I'd, I'd like to say why is it that you think that it has been so difficult to get this um to the point where providers are getting this information to women and i and i know that that's what led you to your advocacy but but it's actually at the point where you've gotten laws passed in so many yes. states and yes. why is it that yes. That we have to go to that level to get this information.
0: Well, I think in the beginning, I think for the most part, you know, it's if there's an arrogance to the um, to the profession in many respects. Like, who am I to tell my doctor? It's changed. Thank you. We're, this is not my grandmother's doctors anymore, or my my mother's doctors. I think that the newer doctors that are coming in, although I had a lot, I had some old ones that were fabulous. Understand that people want information. They want transparency. They want you to be honest. Don't sugarcoat things. I don't want anybody to say oh, you're going to be fine. I know I'm. You know, don't don't say I'm going to be fine. You don't know if I'm going to be fine. Give me the data. Give me the information. I can find out, and I'll do my best to keep healthy and and, and to again survive this disease. So I think the number one thing was they were so protective of mammograms that they were that, that a lot of the folks in the in the healthcare. Um, and but These are mostly doctors. I'm not saying the nurses were our best friends. I love the r- radiation technology. The r- rad text, the mammo text, ultrasound techs are phenomenal. Sonographer's phenomenal. It was basically the profession of kind of insulated uh, arrogance. I don't want to let people know mammograms are not really that great for some women. So there was a lot of secret.
1: Why, why is that? Why are they so protective of, of the mammogram? Is it just that it's the only thing they have to offer? Or why yeah,
0: is Well, probably in some respect, so some it's their bread and butter. Um, again, I'm not here to disparage mammograms. I think certainly 3D is a better mammogram than a 2D. I would start there, but still there's so much research that even a 3D is still, um, it's great. It reduces callbacks, but it's still challenging to find cancer in the dense breast so if you're a woman who is going for screening for one reason which why else would you go is in the unlikely event you have breast cancer it's found early you really want to make sure that you're doing all you can to get that outcome it was a very it's a very secret society in some respect, and I was I mean I I have stories of being yelled at by doctors, bullied. Oh, you're the one who's making us do all that extra work. Me, can you mm-hmm. believe this? In my spare bedroom, I'm doing all this. But here we are today, Deborah. And again, going back, we've had a lot of phenomenal doctors that have come to our defense that ha- that were pioneers in this field. Certainly not the norm, the exception. But um, even the doctors in Connecticut that were totally against what we were doing. After we passed our legislation and they started giving ultrasounds to women with dense breasts or MRs, depending on the um, uh, risk of the of the patient, that they were finding nearly doubling the the number of invasive, the killing kind of cancers. And so, what was in the science for decades has played out right now in the examining room, and that's exactly what I wanted to happen. I wanted women to have an opportunity to have talk, dialogue, discussion with their doctor about what their personalized screening should be. And if they have dense breasts, having a mammogram alone is not sufficient. That's the bottom line. Again, from one state in Connecticut in 2009, we just passed our 35th. We will be on to 36. Illinois is heading to the governor's desk soon. And again, I don't go looking for women. I don't go soliciting, oh, I need somebody women find me through a Google search. They, most of the women that find me, the greater majority are women who are consumers of mammography and they are just st- shocked, startled when they end up with a cancer that his, that was missed, delayed in advance. They end up finding out they have dense tissue. They do a Google search and guess who they find me. So I've worked all across this nation, Uh, advocating alongside women to get this information. And we still, even in 2018, have uh, opposition to these uh, these laws or these bills.
1: And let's be very clear, what you're advocating for is not some esoteric rocket science. You're advocating for legislation that women be told they have dense breasts, which is a known measure if you've ever had a mammogram that is a standard assessment that is reported on the standard report that a doctor gets here's the mammogram results here is the percentage of breast density or grading as yeah, you called yeah, it but so you
0: we don't see it though yes that's your
1: exactly. advocacy is simply to that women be told that information you're not yes, advocating you're, anything no, you know to not, change no. the, uh, the rocket science of no. the profession it's to no, that women no. be told
0: no. Yes, exactly right. And what I really prefer that every woman knows whether she has fatty breasts, scattered breasts, heterogeneously dense breasts, or extremely dense breasts. So those that her breast tissue composition, we have about nine or ten states that do that, that tell women if they have what their breast tissue composition is. So a woman could monitor her own breast health. And if she moves to another state or goes across the, you know, across the road to another imaging facility, she knows what she's talking about. Um, And then having these discussions with their doctors about what the impact means. What does dense tissue, and I have women who have come to me and said, yeah, I heard I had dense tissue, but I don't know what that meant. No one ever told me what it meant. They would just say, oh, by the way, you have dense tissue. Well, what good is that? I mean, I recognize, Deborah that. These laws aren't certainly the be-all and end-all. What, they sh- what we want them to do is drive, is be the impetus for conversations and discussion and dialogue between patient and provider.
1: And once again, going back to what we were saying, if your doctor happens to be one who's not willing to have that conversation or who is uninformed, about this whole issue then you need to find someone else
0: yeah i will here's the word this is a word of warning when you go to a doctor and a doctor whether it's female or male um whether a doctor says to you oh everybody has dense breasts you just had your mammogram you're going to be fine run to the hills
1: right how
0: does she or he know that and i always say to women if a doctor says that to you, here's what you need to say. Can you tell me how confident you are that there isn't a hidden cancer within the density of my breast? And let's see what the stumbling you're going to get out of that person's mouth.
1: Right. Because that's the thing. I remember the first time I talked to you, I don't want to mis- misstate this, but the reasons that a doctor may not tell you have something to do with what they perceive to be their legal ramifications if a problem develops. Or so the reasons that they may or may not be informed, aren't necessarily about your individual care. True, true. There's many masters that they're dancing to. And one of them is, well, if I tell her and there's a problem, then I'm going to be responsible for the follow-up. And then, you know, there's a whole thinking process that most people don't realize. is Yeah, and you
0: know what? That's absolutely incorrect because in our legislation, the standard of practice is you give women information as part of her my report about dense tissue with a little like two or three sentences that go with it. Talk to your doctors about your personal screening or dense tissue can hide cancers or dense tissue is a risk for, could be a risk for breast cancer, whatever. There's also this provision that the, the obligation of the facility or the breast center is to provide notice to the patient. It's not to then, you know, if something happens and she, I, so I think it's more protection. You're giving notice, you're giving information, you're giving something right. that could make her have a missed cancer. So to me, it's only going to help with, um, with the finding of cancers, with the conversations, with the informed consent, as opposed to just not even telling them and burying, burying your head in the sand and pretending it's going to be all right.
1: Exactly. I mean, that may be what every woman wants to hear, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and we have, you know, I, I'm going to just call your attention. So our two websites, are you and are you advocacy.org. Our advocacy site has a picture of the United States map. It has links to all the state laws. We also have a handy guide that you can one pager. You can know how many were the who lo- or who has the laws, what type of laws they have, who doesn't have laws. Uh, some of these laws have sunset clauses. That's are, are also indicated. If you hit on your state, you'll find out what the law what your law looks like. If your state is white, it means you don't have any action going on at all. On our Are You Dense site, we have brochures in Spanish, English, Japanese, French. Uh, we also have um, a handy guide to screening options for dense breasts. All the different types of technologies and what the yield is for cancer and what some of the um, Other considerations, like if you don't, you know, like radiation or having an injection, those are all included in one page with another page of uh, tons of research.
1: I mean, that's great to hear because as we conclude our interview, I was going to ask you what the important steps are that women can take, and really the most important step reflecting on what you're saying is just start educating yourself and you may have to you know have these like you know handouts and brochures and pamphlets on your person to give to your doctor you know so the first place is to really understand where you are and like you said I was told uh years earlier that oh you have dense breasts but I had no idea what that what that actually um meant there was no follow-up about what that indicated it was like oh okay Okay, I have to breast, yeah, You breast.
0: Know. What does that mean? So, you really, you know, and again, I don't want any woman to get all crazy and mental and say, oh my God, blah, blah. But be smart about your breast health, know your breast tissue composition, know that the purpose of breast screening and have those conversations. I mm-hmm. think you're going to find out because now, since we have, even though, you know, we're going to have 36 laws. Um, you'll find that there's more and more women who know a lot more now. Um, we, we, um, right. we know that through our national survey that we just did. Um, all our results aren't in yet. But compared to what women knew about six or seven years ago, it's amazing the impact of RU Dents and RU Dents Advocacy. And again, I look at that I knew because it was in the literature that this was something women needed to have, and I wanted to take it from the literature into the examining room. And seeing that my doctors did not want any being any part of that, I said the only way, and Joe and I knew, is through legislation. We have a federal bill that we also reintroduced. Uh, you can go on RU dense advocacy, hit federal bill, and you could be writing your legislators in about five, not even five minutes. Just put your zip code in, and there's a template for a letter that can go to your Senate and your House member uh, in D.C., And we're also working with the FDA on changes to the MQSA, which is the Mammography Quality Standards Act uh, regulation, so that every woman, no matter if she lived in Hawaii or Montana, will have information about her breast tissue and, again, driving her to have conversations about her personal screening surveillance.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in closing, I one line that I heard you say the first time I ever heard you, you presented with a colleague, but I know one of you said it. And I just think that it's the most a powerful way of summing it up, which is we need to change the conversation because doctors, you know, they've told me having a bilateral mastectomy, oh, did you have your yearly mammogram? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> they, they just do it automatically. I mean, they're following in, in some ways. I, I don't want to simplify this or be insulting. They're following a checklist. You know, did you recommend your colonoscopy after 50 and your mammogram? You said something that was so powerful, which is we need to change the conversation from have you had your ne- yearly mammogram to have you had your yearly breast exam exactly. because as you said if you've got dense breast mammogram is not indicated if you have implants mammogram is not you know the the best exam to have we definitely need to be regularly examining ourselves and we need to be proactive in that but we need to change that conversation it's not a yearly mammogram it's a yearly breast exam
0: yeah breast screening your yearly yeah, exactly you know what you think about it we screen for breast can it's really a breast cancer screening, you know, right. you're screening for breast cancer in the unlikely way you have it. We're not screening for mammogram. I don't know why we call it mammogram screening, it's kind of silly. Uh, right. but but we are you know, we're programmed to think that. And again, I start with my yearly mammogram. I do with 3D now. And then in six months I have an ultrasound. The following year I'll get an MR. So I, I, I alternate my MR with my 3D. Um, If you're getting an MR, you certainly don't need a 3D2. MR is is the most sensitive tool. However, it's typically reserved for those at the highest risk, and there's an injection that goes with it, which may have some complications. So there's no perfect scenario, sadly, Deborah. And it's up to the patient to determine what certainly she wants for herself, which she believes is important for her, and then and then activate it. And then hopefully, um, you know, stay healthy, do what you can to keep healthy, and then make sure that you're having those conversations about what you need for your own breast screening surveillance.
1: And for our listeners, I want to say, because I was looking at your website last night in preparation for this, you have a whole page on there that talks about the different kind of tests to be done in the, and the pros and cons of each yes. one. Yes, yeah, it's a great so, tool. So, you know, the other thing is, yes, like if, yeah. if you go in and tell your doctor, you know, yeah, I'm not going to do a mammogram, I mean, you shouldn't have to, but you then may have to say, I want a guided ultrasound. Unfortunately, they should be able to tell you, but you may have to back that up with if you're not going to do a mammogram, what you are asking for. Yeah, um, so maybe, and,
0: I, I'll tell you this, in my, ex, in my experience, my, and I don't know if it's different where you live, but most facilities will not do any other tests except mammogram first, right. unless. A woman is very young, and they not like in their 30s, and maybe she had a, a, a family history of, of breast cancer or a mutation. They may do the MRI without having the mammogram, but very rarely will you see somebody skip the mammogram. I, that's the standard, and it's it's challenging to change that. And again, I'm I don't want I'm not here to change it. I'm here to, again, change the conversation so that women are empowered, not the doctor. The woman is empowered about her own breast tissue and so she can advocate for what's best for her.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, like you said, um, you know, doctors will say you have to have it or there's nothing else. And you've just got to be that squeaky wheel, or bossy nurse, or, um, or advocate like you. You know, informed advocate. I mean, you've you've taken this you know very frightening and overwhelming, as you said, depressing experience, and become an international voice for empowering women. And I I can't tell you how much I respect um, and admire you for that, and really want to call that out for people because you've become an international voice um, uh, to empower Deborah. women.
0: You know, Deborah, because this is personal. That's my motivation.
1: Exactly. I don't
0: ever, I know what it was. It's still like that at times, you know. I am so outraged. And, and going back to my real career as a teacher, and educator, kids with disabilities, giving them equal access to a quality education. I couldn't get equal ac- access to an early diagnosis. Women with dense tissue couldn't and no one really seemed to care. So this is why I'm motivated. But let me tell you something. I've worked with women all across this globe and a lot of them in the States who found me when they had a three or stage three or four at diagnosis, never missed a mammogram and ended up dying from this disease. Oh, I just am trying it. to prevent that. And it can be prevented by real, if screening matters, we better start looking at not just the mammogram, beyond the mammogram and make it tailored to the individual patient's needs.
1: Right, exactly. Well, in closing, because I know you have to run, but uh, please once again, give um, your contact information and where people can either get more information or e- uh, either contact you or your advocacy org- organizations. I want to end with that.
0: Well, thanks, Deborah. Thanks for having me. I wish you the best in your uh-huh. endeavor to educate women and men across this world, too. It takes a lot of time and energy to do what you're doing, too, and I think it's great. It's, again, the more you know is really important.
1: Yeah, th- thank you so much. And, and as you said, I feel a passion for this because I've been there as well. And there's just so much we need to know uh, in order to um, advocate for ourselves and, and really get the care that we need and we deserve. I just so appreciate everything that you're doing. So once again, Dr. Capello, and Nancy, is um, the director and founder of Are You Dense and Are You Dense Advocacy. Those can both be found online. You can also contact me at mindbodynutritionrn.com. There'll be information and in show notes referring back to everything that we've talked about today and the references, if that's uh, going to be helpful for you in terms of accessing the information. So thank you so much. This has been wonderful. and. Um, I look forward to maybe having you on again. Great. Right. My
0: weekend's beginning, not yours yet.
1: Yeah. I'm out <laughs> of you, so my weekend's beginning. Well, have fun. Have, have fun. a good one. Thanks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye-bye. So in closing, I would like to make sure that I once again let you know that Dr. Capello can be reached at Dense. And R.U. Den's advocacy organization. She has a website and you can sign up and actually become active in the process yourself. All of the references that we've talked about will be listed in the show notes, which you can reach at mindbodynutritionrn.com slash podcast. And you can also download a free e-guide talking about estrogen-blocking medication, normal and expected side effects with those medications. You can sign up for a free consult. And I also would like to let you know that I'm going to be starting an integrative breast cancer recovery group. It's going to be an ongoing group for about eight weeks. If you're interested in that, please drop me a line, and I will put you on the VIP notification list. You can do that at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com. You can also send me any comments, feedback, or questions you might have at that same email address. Thanks so much for joining me today, and please remember to subscribe and comment on the podcast on iTunes. It helps in the whole iTunes rating world and helps my podcast get seen by more women. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or feedback, you can reach Deborah at radicalhealthrn at gmail.com or her website www.mindbodynutritionrn.com. You can also find us on Facebook under Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. For future episodes, subscribe on iTunes, where you can also leave positive reviews. Until next time.